0: Financial advisor
1: Justin Klein. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our Monday, August 29th, 2022 edition of Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein, and I look forward to this hour with you answering your finance and investment questions. And as always, the phone number you'll want to use to call me 24 hours a day, seven days a week, as always, is 888 99 Chart. And I have a pack podcast for you today and my focus point concerns this question is business flexing enough muscle to facilitate the transition to ev and two big names have announced a plan to invest 4.4 billion dollars to build new battery production here in the us uh, for electric vehicles so we're going to look at that story and will this momentum be contagious to the rest of the industry and how will this impact the auto industry as a whole i know This is an area a lot of people get excited about, uh, but we'll break down the investment implications as well. And if time permits, I'll dig into a few other topics. One is another way to measure economic activity. Everyone looks at GDP, and that's the most widely followed, but there's another one that uh, I think is in some ways equally important. And another way to measure it, and uh, it shows a, a little bit different look about uh, about the economy. And then U.S. and China, they've reached a landmark audit inspection deal. And what does that mean for the Chinese stocks? We'll dig into that story, hopefully, a little bit. And then lastly, what's sentiment look like? How are bets on the market looking? Uh, typically, the market likes to bet Likes to hurt the most people, and we're going to look at how most speculators are betting on the market right now. So that's what's on my docket for today, but ultimately, I want to know what's on your mind. Okay, so give me a call 8899 chart. Now, my perspective segment for Monday will look uh, at the danger of inflation on rent liabilities for small business owners and how small businesses are handling. The inflationary environment. We also have some voice bank questions ready for you to play as well. We'll look. Looks like we'll look at IPOs in the first six month, and then FIW First Trust Water ETF. So I've got all this planned for this episode of Invest Talk, and of course I'll take your live calls on eight 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 ninety nine Chart. Now let's check it on the market today we had a modest down day overall. You had the S&P, that was down about 27 points, so a little over half a percent there. Um, But then if you dig into the the details a little bit more, you'll see that growth certainly underperformed. Large cap growth down 1.3%. The best sector, best area of the market uh, today was large cap value, only down about a quarter of a percent. So big, big, uh, discrepancy there. And you've seen this as a follow through of the hawkish statement from uh, Jerome Powell on Friday, and you saw rates up a bit today, seven and a half basis points in the 10 year to 3.11%. So those are the things that uh, I was watching today. It was interesting is even though rates were up, the dollar was roughly flat. And, uh, you know, the VIX was up so that, but that closed off the lows. Uh, what was interesting, though, for me was, We had a down day, but it wasn't really a bloodbath uh, overall. If you look at the NYSE, for example, that was down 59 points, about three tenths of 1% uh, in volume. It just really wasn't that crazy today. So, you know, overall, uh, I think this was a fairly good tape considering the selling that we got on Friday, Uh, but we'll see for tomorrow and how uh, if we get more fall through the downside, we're approaching the 50 day moving average on the S&P. And that's certainly going to show some likely near-term support for the market. Now let's turn into our voice bank question now at eight 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 ninety nine chart
2: Stephen
3: Justin, this is Art from Tucson calling in 3M, M big drop today. I think it went down 9% and change um and wondering if it's a buying opportunity or something to add to or um if we should cut our losses here. All right, thanks. I'll be listening on the podcast.
1: All right. I know 3M did have a couple big down days, especially uh Friday. So it it the whole market did, but um it looks like it had something to do with the lawsuit. Um I honestly haven't Dug into it in detail. We don't own 3M. It's not really on our uh, you know, near the top of our buy list uh, in the industrial space. There's just a lot better opportunities out there that don't have uh, these lawsuits hanging over their head. But I know the judge did rule on um, combat earplugs, and uh, they, it looks like they, yeah, they they lost that fight. Uh, there's t- 230,000 lawsuits accusing of harming U.S. soldiers. So it doesn't look good. Uh, now, what that liability ultimately will look like, I haven't, once again, dug into that. Um, but 3MS, uh, uh, multiple things uh, kind of hanging over its head. And that's why, uh, just to me, it's not a buying opportunity quite yet. It's not super cheap. Uh, and then you have the lawsuit issues. So until it gets to about $100 per share, that's when I would think about picking it up. And now it's at 126, making a double bottom, but it looks like it's probably gonna break those lows. So uh, I'm gonna pass on 3M. Now we're heading into a break. Steve and I are happy to play your voice, recorded voice bank questions. but We love live calls as well. So our number never changes and it never closes. This is 8 888-99-CHART.
3: Why do listener questions make Invest Talk better?
1: One of the most rewarding things I do each weekday is host the Invest Talk Podcast. I truly enjoy helping investors. And I know that every question counts and every answer I provide will be unbiased. You, the caller, get to chart the course for each Invest Talk Podcast. Call with your questions anytime, day or night, 888 99 chart.
2: Oh hey Justin Steve. Thank you for your show. Just love it. This is Tom calling from Oregon. Had a quick question. In your show previously, you've mentioned that general rule of staying away from IPOs within the first six months. I uh, was just curious if that rule also applies to ETS and mutual funds. I Thank you. I look forward to hearing your answer on the show.
1: Well, I don't say that we you should avoid IPOs in the first six months. What you worry about is the lock period that usually lasts six months. So after the first six months, that's usually when you get more pressure on the stock downward in the short term, when IPOs hit market, as long as they're sufficiently hyped and that hype stays up there, uh, the, the, the stock tends to kind of hold water, um, because there isn't a lot of new supply of shares coming on market, uh, now. With that caveat, I will say that most IPOs are overpriced, and so you're you're probably paying too much for those those IPOs long term. In those first six months, um, but typically, I, I just probably wouldn't touch I, most IPOs for the first year uh, until you get some chart history, some trends, some multiple quarters of the the business, uh, and those those insiders uh, selling. So that's, that that's on the IPO front. Now, when it comes to ETFs, mutual funds. I guess IPOs and ETF coming to market. Uh, historically, it's a very bad time to invest in new IP, new uh, funds, ETFs that come on board, especially those that are focused on a particular subsector of the market. Right? Uh, think of robotics and AI and th- you know, things that are very uh, hot and uh, because. W- typically these ETFs, these fund companies are only coming to market because they they need they need assets to sustain that fund. And they're only gonna to come to market when a lot of investors are ginned up to, to bet on that particular sector or subsector. And if you just look back in history, a lot of them, uh, if, you, if you look ones that have been out for five, 10, 15 years, they peaked early on um, because those fund families issued it when that was a hot sector, and the the, the they were very overvalued. That like, you know the companies within them were already overvalued. Um, so typically, you want to avoid those as well. Now, broad based ones that might be different uh, ones that are focused a little bit more on you know quant strategies where you're over and over, underweighting certain uh, aspects of uh, particular companies, things like that. Uh, those I worry less about. The ones that are very thematic, those are the ones that you definitely want to avoid, especially early on. And if you see a bunch of them hitting and hitting the market and you own those individual names in your portfolio, you should start thinking twice about the names that you own. Thanks for the call. Now, my focus point today is based on this question. Is business flexing enough muscle to facilitate the transition to EVs? Now, two big names have announced a plan to invest billion into a new plant. And that would be Honda and LG energy solutions. And this was announced today. And this, this comes on the heels of the inflation reduction act, which added to the requirements for domestically sourced parts and material for vehicles to avoid certain tariffs. Now, the United States, Mexico, Canada agreement, right, the kind of upgrade to to NAFTA uh, under the Trump administration, that had some requirements as well. But the Inflation Reduction Act actually does that even more uh, so that uh, in order for vehicles to be exempt from tariffs, to receive financial incentives, there needs to be a certain percentage in those cars of domestically made uh, parts. And certainly, The lithium-ion batteries are a big part of that. And earlier this year, Honda said it plans to release 30 electric vehicles globally and to produce about 2 million EVs a year by 2030. So if they're going to do that and they're going to use their existing facilities here in Ohio, Alabama, and Indiana, they're going to need to source a lot of uh, batteries. And uh, this, this is supposed to begin mass production by the end of 2025. Uh, so that's really the plan here. And what's interesting and not talked about enough is that this Inflation Reduction Act, and whether you agree it's going to in, it reduce inflation, that's I think that's definitely debatable. Uh, but what it is, in my in, in the way I view it, is it's really industrial policy, uh, and we haven't really had full scale industrial policy here. In this country for a long time, it's been all about exporting, uh, manufacturing, and this is being more targeted on particular industries. Obviously, green and green energy. Uh, even there's some 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 oil things in here as well. Um, but it's really just trying to focus on bringing production back to the U.S. and securing our businesses securing our supplies of certain important materials, even the act that, uh, that uh, touches on chip production, that is industrial policy. So you can, you can like it, you can, or you could not like it. Uh, but that's a clear shift by the U S government is to incentivize companies to bring manufacturing back here as opposed to export. And that is an inflationary endeavor. Uh, it's going to cause probably more inflation as opposed to less inflation in, in the lo- in, in at least the the short run. Now, long term, they make those uh, those factories more efficient and make it cheaper That overseas. I think in some ways, possibly, especially if you use automation. But in the near term, that's going to help our economy uh, create more jobs, more investment in um, industrial parts and equipment that are going to be needed for these things and That's something not a lot of people are talking about. Now, how does this impact the green energy uh, industry? Well, I still say building cars, being building EVs in general, it's a a poor business. Once again, whether you're using an internal combustion engine or an electric motor and batteries, it's the vast majority of the car and the process of building that car are very similar. And it's a very competitive, highly capital intensive business. And that's why I like the picks and shovels over the individual car companies. Now we'll take a break. Now, the Invest Talk phone lines are open for you at 888.99 chart. Each
3: day, Invest Talk listeners submit their finance and investment questions via phone or email. Would you like your question to be put near the top of the list? Just take a minute or two to leave a review and rating for Invest Talk at iTunes and be sure to include a brief question with your iTunes review comments.
0: Hey, uh, thanks for taking the call. A uh, longtime listener of the show. Just kind of wanted your take on FIW. I'm looking to maybe add more to my position. I read an article recently that actually water was one of the best performing. Sectors uh, over the long haul uh, that is non-tech. Like I said, just kind of wanted your take on it, and in your opinion, I'm looking to add. And is that a wise move? Thank you for taking the call. I enjoy listening to you.
1: All right, this is the First Trust Water ETF. FIW is the symbol, and what's interesting about this is that about 58 percent of the portfolio or this fund is in industrials. So it's not Water utilities, which is still 22% of the ETF. Uh, about 11% is in healthcare, and then 4% in technology, and about 4% basic materials. So that's pretty much how it's made up. So the, this is certainly industrial heavy, which I'm I'm fine with. Um, now I would be interested to see how this compares to that study you were speaking about, and you know, is w- what defines water? Is it filtration systems? Obviously, is it desalination plants, you know, or is it simply just water utilities? Uh, so what are the things that go into qualifying as related to water and, and that study that you spoke of? Uh, now, this has have about a 53 basis point expense ratio, which is a little expensive for uh, an ETF that's really focused on one particular industry. Uh, but long term, it does have good consistent um, uh Profitability uh, across most of the the names. Uh, Its yield isn't very high, only about half to three quarters of a percent, depending if you're looking forward or backwards. So it's not a high dividend pair, Uh, but it is filled with a lot of solid companies, uh, and I think it's fine. If this is 5% of your portfolio, that's about as high as I would take it. Okay? Thanks for the call. That was FIW, the first trust water ETF. Thanks for the call. Now, let's touch a bit on the economy. And a lot of people have been hung up on the first half of the year and the GDP figures and the fact that it did shrink for the first two quarters of the year. And technically, that is a recession by by some measures. But the question is, how accurate is it? And do you really consider that uh, a real recession? Now, there's two ways to measure economic output. Now, one is production, so that's GDP, gross dom- domestic product, or it's income. Now, for every dollar an individual spends on some good or service, another individual will earn that income. Right? That's money changing hands in the economy. So, what? there's another measure called gross domestic income, GDI. And GDP... And GDI theoretically should match one for one. But historically, because they measure slightly different things, they use different data sets, they, they don't add up. They never do because there's always kind of noise in the data. And if you look at GDI for the first half of the year, you will see that taking on inflation, it actually increased about 1.6% versus GDP was in contraction, 1.1%. So there's a pretty big discrepancy there. And so GDI is measurement of corporate profits, wages and benefits, self-employment, income, interest, and rent, okay? Now, some economists like to average the two because they know that neither one is a perfect measure of the economy, but theoretically they shouldn't match each other up, so let's just meet in the middle. And if you measure the output, if you, if you do meet those two in the middle for the first half of the year, you saw that it was up 0.2% at an annualized rate. So very, very slow, really a stall speed for the economy. Now, the Bureau of Labor Statistics, you know, the, the rule of thumb is the two negative GDP quarters, but you really want to look at more data sets than that, right? Things like employment, business sales, manufacturing, production, and income. All of these things are a broader view of overall economic activity. And if you look at a study done by Jeremy Nalawak, which is from the Federal Reserve, he's a Federal Reserve economist in 2010, he found that as GDP is revised throughout history, it tends to go towards GD, GDI. So as you see GDP re- revised and GDI, they tend to. They tend to uh, be revised towards each other, and so that's likely what you're going to see. Now, obviously, fiscal stimulus that was enacted in 2020, 2021—that's all kind of worn off. You have higher interest rates, uh, squeezing the housing market. All these things have added up to stall the economy as a whole, uh, and that's kind of where we're at. Now, does that mean we're going to go into a real recession? I think that's certainly possible, especially if you look at the bond market, the way they are pricing in a Fed cut in the first half of next year. That means that the bond market is saying, yes, Warden's all speed now, but as the Fed continues to raise rates, as you have that economic trajectory continue to deteriorate, you're going to go into recession. But remember that the market bottoms in recessions. Remember that something that most people do not understand, that market thought, markets bottom in recessions. Now the next and best talk, the story behind this headline. Employees are toning down demands for higher pay and remote work accommodation. The great resignation and an employment rate that's nearly the lowest it's been since 1970 has put uh, employees squarely in a position of power over the years, but that is changing. Now we're heading into a break at 88.99 99 chart Stay ahead of the game in the battle against cyber threats with HackerOne's attack resistance platform. Learn more at HackerOne.com. That's H-A-C-K-E-R-O-N-E.com, HackerOne.com.
3: You've got a portfolio to grow and protect, and this is no time to lose focus. So get your finance and investment questions together and call Steve Peasley and Justin Klein. They're ready with their unbiased answers. Talk 888-99-CHART.
1: Now, small business GDP is in trouble. Today on CNBC.com, there's a story that says, the rent crisis on Main Street just took, turn, took a turn for the worse. And this is a new survey from Alignable, which is an online resource of about 7 million small business owners. And an increasing number of small business owners are unable to make their full rent payment. And the question is, why? Why should investors care? Well, as of January of 2009, before the COVID crisis, small businesses accounted for 44% of the US economic activity. And for many decades, small businesses have been the lifeblood, lifeblood of the U.S. economy, and they've created about two thirds of net new jobs. Now, small businesses drive U.S. innovation and competitiveness. But today, in 2022, small small businesses are caught with a with a conundrum. Inflation is hurting on one end, and prices for uh, input, labor, transportation, energy all cut into margins and mm-hmm. The, their customers are pulling back spending as well, even though rent is soaring. And the landlords are pressing for full payment as the economy cools and sales slow. Now, but for, for some small business owners, there may be options. One, they can renegotiate with landlords who don't want their, they don't want vacancies. Uh, and for example, uh, not every, uh, sorry, uh, they could shift their business to more B2B and online. That's one way. Uh, but what's interesting here is that over the years, small businesses have actually become a smaller and smaller percentage of the economy as a whole. I just said it was 44%. Well, in 1950s, it was 58% of total GDP. That dropped about 48% in the early 60s. And then by 1977, small businesses with fewer than 500 employees produced only 46.5%. Five percent of business output. So it's actually declined since then, but very slowly and been pretty steady. So the peak of uh, the small business was really in the 1950s. So that was very interesting to see um, that a lot of small businesses are struggling, uh, but it just shows you that you know that, that that economic gravity will 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 take hold, and that's actually going to bring down inflation. Uh, overall, because uh, those landlords aren't going to be able to hike their rents too much longer. Now, let's pivot back to the Best Talk voice bank for a question that came in earlier on 888 ninety nine chart
2: Hello, Steve and Justin. I just opened a small position in Walgreens Boot Alliance, uh, ticker WBA. And basically, uh, going into a recession, my justification was to get something with a high-paying uh, dividend and also more of a consumer defensive stock so uh, i was just wondering uh, what your uh feeling is on this company and uh, my plan is to hold it long term and uh, reinvest the dividends and it's paying over five percent dividend at this point in time and it is also at a 52 week low <laughs> as well so i did buy it pretty low so i'm hoping some uh equity growth as well Okay, thank you very much. And a relatively new listener to the show, and I'm going to uh, keep uh, listening uh, every week. I really appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Bye. All
1: right. Well, since you're a new listener, I won't uh, I won't go too hard on you. But uh, this is another example of the type of company that uh, people get caught up in, and they caught up in the the dividend. Uh, yes, it does pay a nice, healthy five point three percent dividend, um, but. This is Walgreens, uh, along with their largest competitor. I'll say that we do own for our clients. And if you look at the relative strength between their largest competitor and Walgreens, it's no comparison. Now, their largest competitor does only pay a 2.2% dividend, but it's in an uptrend. Its relative strength is 87. Walgreens is 24 so great, you're getting a, a better dividend, but clearly their business is 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 struggling, uh, and their leadership is not nearly as good. And so, don't chase. I mean, don't. This looks. I don't want to say it's a value trap, um, but it's just it's a dividend trap. Maybe that's the new term I use. It's a dividend trap. It's an offshoot of a value trap, just like dividend investing is an offshoot of value investing but too many people get caught up in these are the dividend traps it's like great they're paying a dividend the dividend is nice and healthy today but it's probably a risk long term because their business is not that great uh could be at risk for various reasons uh and you just gotta look at the chart why are there why is their largest large competitor in an uptrend and they're in a distinct downtrend clearly there's a problem here they have a lot of debt Revenues were down 4% last quarter. Earnings down 30% last quarter, year over year. I would not be buying this name. Or would I would not be holding this name. Thanks for the call. Now let's fit in an iTunes review question. Alex HT3 says, can you review XPO Logistics? XPO Logistics. They provide transportation and logistics services to customers in North America, Europe, and Asia. It's a fairly large company, has about a $6.1 billion market cap, so sitting squarely in the mid-cap space, but its relative strength is pretty poor, about 26. But it is looking like it's improving technically a little bit, uh, but the problem is, is that its business prospects continue to dwindle. Uh, and, and that's because shipping rates are just coming down uh, pretty dramatically where earnings are expected to fall 1% next year. And last quarter, revenues were only up 1%, and even though earnings were up 48%, but that was still a, de- a strong deceleration year over year on both sides. They do have a lot of debt on their balance sheet, and that, that worries me uh, a bit here, where it's uh, yeah about $2.5 billion in debt on a $6 billion market cap. Not terrible, but not exciting uh, either. Um, let me take a look. You know, these are the type of names that I like to focus more on price-to-sales versus profitability because they've been over-earning. Now, the price-to-sales is about 0.4%, which is right along their their longer-term average. Um, So that's my issue, is that it's probably fairly valued, uh, but it's in a downtrend, and its earnings are in a downtrend. So, you know, it's not a name that I'm gonna get jazzed up about in this part of the cycle. Now, the positive is, Return on equity longer term is tends to be fairly positive. It's median over the last five years is about 13%. Its average is about 14%. So, you know, it's fairly profitable, but it is very cyclical and it's starting the downtrend of that cycle. So just not a name that I would be looking to get into right now in this downtrend and with this economic backdrop. Now, let's make it two iTunes questions in a row. JDC Auburn in Beirut Beirut says, I was wondering about your thoughts on VFC. They're down quite a bit. Payout ratio is above 100% currently. What do you think about VFC at these levels? What is your recommendation as a long-term buy? Now, VF Corp is one of the few apparel names that has consistent profitability and cash flow and strong brands, so its biggest, Best brands would be Timberland as well as North Face. They also own Vans and some other ones as well. Uh, But those are the three main drivers of its business and its profitability. And longer term, it's it's maintained that. Uh, They also have Supreme as well as Dickies, so which are a little bit more cyclical. Uh, But the business has been around a long time, and it doesn't pay a huge dividend about, uh, actually now, yeah, 4.8%. That's uh, gone up as the price has gone down pretty dramatically. Uh, and this is the type of name I like to bet on the reversion to the mean. And their, their operating margins right now are about 12.5%, which is um, this is actually is about average. But the stock is down uh, dramatically. Now, the relative strength here, the, the chart is is very poor. So it's not a name that I'm going to rush into right now because it's certainly in a strong downtrend. It's that it's a... Geez. It's at a multi-year, low, let's go to a monthly chart. Yeah, it hasn't been at these levels since 2013, 2013, which is interesting because earnings, while well, expected to moderate uh this year and next, still supposed to grow uh next year to three dollars and forty cents. So you're talking about a 12 forward multiple, it's pretty cheap. Now historically, let's look at its enterprise value even right now it's at about 12 and a half. Its long term average is in the thirties. So this is definitely a name, it's on my watch list because I like these brands. I think the brands are are, are very solid. The question is, what is the catalyst that's gonna turn this around? Uh, You know, near term, they're dealing with uh, uh, China supply chain issues as well as a weak uh, economy over there. And they just have some challenges. Uh, But long term, I'm gonna bet on the brand. So I, I think this is a buy at some point. Let me give you a support level, because that's what I like to look at is, okay, now that you're in the zone, now that you know it's cheap enough, where could this find some major support? Oh, geez. This technicals are just very, very poor. That's what. That's the only thing that throws me off here, is that it's in a strong downtrend. I don't have capitulation volume yet. Uh, 31, $32, now it's at 41. That's an area that, would tell me that uh, there's major support, but I'd be looking for capitulation volume where the baby's being thrown out of the bathwater, everybody's given up on the name, that's when I'd be picking it up. So keep on your watch list. It's definitely a great name to own long-term, uh, but near-term, not so much. Now let's keep things moving and go back to the Best Talk Voice Bank for this question that came in earlier at eight eight nine nine chart Hey, guys, this is Trey uh, from Alabama. Uh, This question is specific for Justin because, if I'm not mistaken,
2: Justin, you were a basketball player, and now you obviously transitioned to the financial world. And I want to see that at some point, too. Um, Currently, I'm playing basketball overseas in Europe, but I know that once I'm playing basketball, one of my passions is uh, investing,
1: and I'm learning from you guys and other people now, but also I have a bachelor's degree in finance. And I was wondering if you'd give me some advice on what would be the next steps uh, for me to take in becoming a personal financial advisor because that's the career path I wanna take when the ball starts bouncing. And I feel like you could possibly give me the best answer on that. Any other tips that I could connect from my basketball world to the finance
2: world would be of service as well. Thanks.
1: Well, I uh, appreciate that. Uh, and I uh, like that you're looking to make that transi- transition. It's never too early to start planning that and gaining the tools to become a, a professional. Now, the good thing is, so I know for me personally, a lot of my good friends, a lot of my network, I've met through basketball in some way, whether that's directly or indirectly. Uh, it's just a, 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 it's the best decision I ever made in my life. Uh, I went to college, or sorry, I went to high school and I played baseball and basketball, and I decided to just focus on basketball, which was um, paid off greatly. To play pickup today, it's, uh, it's it's a it's my main hobby. Um, so I would say continue to to do that even when you retire uh, and lean on your network that you've created. Um, continue to stay connected with your network, uh, and that will help you in your uh, in your career as you as you transition. Um, now, when it comes to the skills, uh, obviously reading, uh, staying up on. Uh, the market, the economy, uh, making sure that you're familiar with all different types of aspects of the financial world—not just the investment side, but the planning side as well, the personal finance side—all uh, that is is important. And then uh, the different sectors that you are going to be able to need to be able to speak about uh, intelligently, not just on the—you know—if you think of a finance major, you understand the discounted cash flow models and, and things like that, but really understanding sectors, subsectors, that's going to really help you uh, hone in on good investments, good risk versus reward, etc. And then when it comes to applying yourself towards a particular job, I always say small, small businesses um, that you can quickly accelerate your career in and you're not gonna get caught up in uh, just being a sales guy for a Morgan Stanley or a Merrill Lynch or something like that. Those places are turn and burn shops. Uh, you, they're, they're just basically squeezing new hires for their connections and the vast majority of them don't catch on. So stay away from those large, big shops. Uh, they don't tend to do uh, new advisors very, very well. So hopefully give you a few tips there that can help you succeed in your second career now this is rare two questions in a row from alabama let's play it now hello justin or steve this is todd from birmingham alabama we've got a question today regarding
0: jp morgan equity premium income j-e-p-i and i was and derivative income in general is that area of the market relatively safer than being in individual stocks
1: thanks Bye. all right it's just uh, jprx which is the jp morgan equity premium income fund i'm assuming i have to dig into this a little bit more but it looks like it is a covered call strategy i'm not getting a lot of information on it but that's what it looks like here. Yeah, I think that's what this is. Now, because you talked about derivatives, and typically, yeah, typically that's what uh, you're speaking about. Um, now, is it less risky than just owning equities outright? Yeah, I mean, you're hedging some of the downside, you're, you're bringing in more income. Uh, now, we run a cover call strategy, uh, similar, probably better than this, but uh, it's it does even out the volatility uh, overall. Uh, you don't quite get the upside as well as you don't get quite as much downside. So it's certainly lower risk if it's run in a traditional way than your typical uh, just owning equities outright. So a good cover call strategy is a good strategy to become not necessarily conservative, but I would call it moderately aggressive is what we call it. This is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein, and we have one goal here is to help you achieve your own version of financial freedom. When our work continues after this final break, so if you're gonna call, you want to do it right now at 8899 chart.
3: The markets react to uncertainty. Are you prepared? Is your portfolio balanced? Is it optimized? Your financial future depends on the answers to those questions. Justin Klein is here now and ready to talk with you. Call Invest Talk 99 chart.
1: Let's go to New York and talk to James. He wants to talk about home ownership.
3: Uh, yeah, I was wondering if maybe you thought there it was a wise time in general to invest in one's home, and in particular, I'm talking about curb appeal—say, a new driveway or. a a new stonework on the front of the house. Uh, this is a year that I've increased my 401k contributions. And also I was wondering if there is a percentage of one's income that might be wise to allocate on a re- renovation of one's home
1: that I described. Well, do you plan to stay in that home for a long period of time? I do, yeah. Okay. Well, the cost of materials, the cost of labor is, is pretty high right now. Uh, and so it's probably not the best time. Uh, now, probably next year, later next year, will be a much better time. So I'd be paid to get a bunch of bids and, and be very, um, do a lot of research. This is your time to, to make sure you're doing the right thing uh, with the right contractor. And then you can, can make that decision. I wouldn't be in a, a rush to do it right now. But, you know, as the economy softens, as inflation comes down, uh, there's going to be a, a better time probably in the next uh, 12 to 18 months to get that done. And this is the time to do some research and get bids and, and, and kind of time that right. Uh, and, you know, unless you're in a hurry, which, you know, you're in there long term. I don't think you're in a hurry to, you know, do it so you can sell the house or anything like that. I would just be patient and be doing a lot of research right now. Thanks for the call, James. Let's go to Michael in Texas, looking at SPYD.
3: Hey, Justin. How are you today?
1: Doing well. You're looking at the high dividend ETF?
3: Yes, sir. I just uh, opened up a Roth IRA for my son. He's 17, just got a job. And I was looking at this ETF to kind of just get them started in the market. And I like it that it's uh, focused on uh, dividend, paying stocks, and just kind of hopefully just kind of grow its portfolio. I just want to know your thoughts on it.
1: Well, my thoughts are I don't like something that's just focusing on high dividends. Uh, dividends, yes. I would be more focused on a fund that is dividend growth. Dividend growth historically has been shown to be, a much better better focus for investors. I know it's harder to actually execute on, but if you're just buying an ETF, you know that's going to be up to the fund manager to, to for that mix. Um, and so, historically, the risk versus reward on this is not that great. Um, so, I would be going with some sort of dividend growth ETF over something that's simply focused on the high dividend. Make sense?
2: Uh, yes, sir.
0: Thank you for that. Appreciate it. No problem.
1: Thanks for the call. And that's, I really want to hammer that point home. I see this too often, that people are myopic on dividends. Whether you're And whether you're a, a retiree and you're trying to produce a certain level of income for yourself, uh, or you just feel safer because they pay a dividend. Well, guess what? The higher the dividend is, i be the riskier the dividend is It's that simple because ultimately it's a business that, that, that needs to back up that dividend, the cash flows, the stability of its balance sheet. And when a company is paying out six, five, six, seven, eight, nine percent dividend yield, it's the market telling you that that dividend is risky in some way. Now, you can be comfortable with that risk. You can disagree with the market about that risk on, you know, one-off bases. But if you're only focused on very high-paying dividend stocks, you're going to naturally be caught up in a lot that ultimately cut their dividend or eliminate their dividend. Because the end goal will be always to stay in business. And if their business behind that dividend is not sound, is not solid, you're going to lose far more on the price depreciation of the stock than you'll make up for in the higher dividend. So focus on good companies, pay lower dividend usually, and that can grow their dividend over time. I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. Steve Peasley and I thank you for listening. We encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads. Now, on Saturday night, our official Invest Talk downloads crossed the four, 44.7 million mark thanks to you. Now, you can get your Invest Talk podcast anytime at iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and be sure to rate and review on iTunes as well. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night. Invest Talk is a trademark of KPP Financial. Because of the nature of the
0: interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them.